You're listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. I'm Dee Clark, and this is Cortez Currents, which you can also access in text form at cortezcurrents.ca. And today we bring you part three of a five-part series conversation about the Cortez Death Care Collective, a volunteer association dedicated to a healthier relationship with death and dying. I interview Margaret for sure, with an occasional comment from Emma Tius on what the collective does and what it can offer to Cortez residents. In this episode, we'll ask, what would inspire a person to do this particular kind of community work, which is quite challenging? We'll also explore green or natural burial. What is it? How does it work? And why we might want to choose it? I'm thinking that you guys have a lot of emotional courage that you're walking into these situations and sharing these very difficult emotions with these families and these people. So what what inspired you to actually take this on? and do this work? What, what is it that, that called you to do something that's actually quite difficult? As you say, it's kind of heart-wrenching, and a lot of people would avoid that. So what was it inspired you to, to tackle that? It was my father's death in 2009. He had a stroke. It took him three weeks from the stroke to, to death, and a lot of it was, was very difficult. But there were parts of it because of the stroke, a lot of the parts of my dad that that weren't heart-centered just fell away until it was only his heart that was left. And I sat by his bedside, and I remember I would write poetry, and, and there's one line that still really resonates, and it's, I have never seen love naked before. And that's really what I felt with my dad. And... I mean, I was 50 years old, and that was my first real experience with death, which is, I mean, I'm very fortunate, but also being from an immigrant family, also very unfortunate. <laughs> but after that experience, I really wanted to get into hospice work, so I took the training in Campbell River, and I journeyed with some hospice clients. That really resonated with me. I thought, how can I do more of this. I worked for a funeral home for several years because I thought that was a way of maybe getting closer to this whole death experience. And, and it, it was, but it also showed me the disconnect. So to be part of a community such as Cortez and, and Quadra as well, where people are more where people are resourceful and they like to do things themselves. It seemed like a place that was really open and ripe for reclaiming death and taking it back into our communities and doing it ourselves in ways that that aligned with who we are. We talked a little bit about natural burial, which I think is probably appealing to a lot of people on Cortez. I know... It's something I feel pretty strongly about mm-hmm. is, you know, I don't want to be pickled. <laughs> I want something planted over me. Yeah. We could just say a little bit more about natural burial, just yeah, what it is. Talk a little bit about what yeah. it is and why it was a struggle to get it. 
So natural burial is about returning the body to the earth as simply and naturally as possible, and then returning the earth to nature. So no embalming, a biodegradable shroud around a body. It could be linen or cotton. If a person wants a biodegradable box, hopefully locally sourced, and then the grave is dug to a four-foot depth because the idea is that we want these bodies to, to decompose, to nourish new life. Another tenant of natural burial is to optimize land use. So this is why bodies are buried sequentially. You don't, you don't choose the place where the body is going to be. It's beside the previous one. Although here in a small community like Cortez and, and also on Quadra, there are ways to facilitate a husband lying beside his wife. Mm-hmm. It's not a guarantee, but if, if the person is obviously going to die in the next 20 years, that spot can be reserved. And in a natural burial, the land is returned to nature. So we can plant trees on the grave, natural vegetation, There will be no maintenance needed after it is established, after the planting is established. There's not a tombstone on the grave itself, but there is, and in Whaletown and Manson's, it's it's a future project. There will be a memorial structure where everyone who's buried in the cemetery will be acknowledged in some way, just not as an individual tombstone, but as the grave is, is filled a driftwood marker that's probably going to be there for the next 40 years to mark the grave, and eventually that'll become part of the landscape as well. So if the if you're sort of doing a series of burials in a, across the plot mm-hmm. or whatever the acreage is that's being used and planting it in, there's no reuse? I mean, if trees start growing and stuff, you wouldn't be able to come back and reuse that same area. Okay, so so in Europe often what they'll do is they will reuse a grave. Yeah. So you kind of occupy it for, I don't know, 20 or 40 years or, or the body occupies it and then it gets reused. In Canada, no graves are reused. That's just, I mean, people are working on that, but it's just not a thing that happens, oh. which is urban sprawl. <laughs> Yeah, which is why natural burial appeals to me immensely is because, okay, my grave's not going to be reused well. Let a tree grow on, on it. Mm. I, my body itself is going to protect as well as you know, nourish this tree. It makes so much more sense, even in Canada and the States, to oh, have natural burials. That's an interesting idea, that by being buried under a tree, you would protect that tree because it would be illegal to dig you up so the tree can't be moved Exactly. So your five by ten or six by ten plot, rather than it taking up space and you kind of owning this piece of land into perpetuity, now it's you are protecting this piece of land into perpetuity, whatever perpetuity is. <laughs> yeah. And nobody needs to mow over your plot and tend to your grave, and it's going to support life. I think that's actually kind of resonant because I remember how pleased I was when I learned of the local First Nations tradition 
that funerary poles are not renewed or maintained. When they fall, they fall. Mm -hmm. And when they rot, they rot. And that's the real end of the whole ceremonial process mm -hmm. of, of acknowledging that dead person is that there's another maybe 40 years before that pole finally falls and rots mm -hmm. away. And not this bizarre Western fascination with ageless, eternal monuments, you know, that, mm -hmm. will, that will stand for a thousand years, which is cool if you're an archaeologist, but is strangely egotistical. I mean, doesn't that seem rather odd Absolutely. when you step back and look at yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, the more I learn about other cultures, the more I realize how strange Canada and the U.S., I mean, not just them, but particularly Canada and the U.S.'s approaches to, to death are. It's, it's observed some of the things that we believe are normal and what we call alternative is like, wow, shouldn't this be what's normal? Well, to digress a bit, I think there's a strong literalist tradition believing that the body has to be preserved because of the literal resurrection of the body as part of religious doctrine. And so the body must be preserved for as long as it takes for the millennium to come mm. and the rapture to come and all these bodies oh. to be revived and taken up okay. to heaven. So for people who literally believe that narrative... That's why all the preservatives and the sealed coffins and you can't disturb the grave and all of that stuff because if your remains are scattered, you can't be... Resurrected. Raptured, and, resurrected mm -hmm, and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So I think that that underlying religious dogma has really shaped civil process and uh -huh. law and right. customs and all that stuff. So we worked with the SCCA in that we said, so we really want to bring natural burials to the community. We are willing to do the work involved. So they were, they were very gracious and, and grateful. And they're the ones that did the paperwork and, and the necessary steps to, to bring natural burial there. And, and Whale Town, the community club is in charge of the Whale Town Cemetery. And they too were eager to have a natural burial section in the Whale Town Cemetery. And there have been two natural burials in the Whale Town Cemetery to date. Are there any recurring fees associated with registering a piece of land as a cemetery? Do you have to renew your cemetery permit every year? Yes, every year the cemetery license has license. comes up for renewal. Is it expensive? And not if the cemetery is free. The reason I ask is because it suddenly occurred to me that it was like a, could be a really smart, cheap way of covenanting. You know that if you covenant land as a nature conserved area, you have to have recurring inspections and the fees are actually quite high. It's, it's actually a planning problem for people who want to donate land into some kind of nature trust is that they have to set up a fund to pay for the annual fees. And it suddenly occurred to me that this might be a really interesting alternative way of doing that at much lower cost. And then we might actually have plots of land that were forested where people could legally be buried and be buried with the cedar trees that they love. Anyway. <laughs> I thought of that. I said to Henry, 
instead of talking about you know land conservancy why don't we turn blue jay lake farm into cemetery and he's like no (laughs) (laughs) but i think it's a brilliant idea he says i'm not living at blue jay lake cemetery (laughs) well even though he said he wanted to be buried on the land i'm like okay i i know the process of turning a piece of land into a cemetery is a huge undertaking i know the people on denman island said to us you have a cemetery that has space in it you are so fortunate there are so many hoops to jump through. Oh. And I talked to the people on Salt Spring because I said, how did you do it? I don't know that, you know, the, the head cemetery people are that interested in land conservation. That hasn't been my experience. And she said, I'm not so sure they are either, but we jumped through every single one of their hoops so they couldn't say no. She said, I don't know if they've closed the hoops after we've jumped through them or if we've opened it up for other communities to follow our lead. (laughs) Well, tune in tomorrow at 3 p.m. for part four of our five-part series on the Cortez Death Care Collective. Just a reminder, the views and opinions heard on this program are not endorsed by Cortez Community Radio, its board, its staff, its membership, or any granting agency but are those of the writer, producer, and guests. And, as always, thanks for listening. Жаль, ты мамку Бог.